folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch the baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Hey everyone, before we get into the show, if you're thinking about listing your home, I know exactly who you need to connect with. Nick and Josh from Victory Home Team. They will guide you through the listing process with a hands-on approach where they walk through every single listing and add their personal touch. They're not going to put you through some robotic, cookie-cutter process. Selling your home is too important for that. Josh and Nick, who are two of the biggest purple and gold football fans I know, use innovative marketing strategies to increase visibility and make sure your house gets seen by potential buyers. And when the time comes, they can close the deal with their proven negotiation strategies. Just ask Purple Insider producer Jeremy Rushing, who worked with Victory Home Team. Hi, this is Jeremy, producer at Purple Insider, and my fiance and I actually used Nick and Victory Home Team to purchase our forever home just this past winter, and we can't recommend them enough. We were selling and buying in this scenario, and the process was so smooth, we actually had four showings and two offers on our townhome just in its first day on the market. So if you're looking to buy a new home, looking to sell yours, maybe just like us, you're doing both in the same process, that can be so stressful, but Victory Home Team takes that stress off your shoulders and just makes the whole situation incredibly easy to handle let my football loving friends at victory home team list your house today visit victoryhometeam.com to check out how great their listings look and their seller's guide that's victory home team number one in real estate in the twin cities and if you mention you heard about them on this show they will give you a special purple and gold discount all right let's get into the show Good evening, and welcome to the NFL Draft. Draft season is here. Come on, come on. There you go. To break down every need. They're not going to pick a quarterback. They need offensive linemen. They need defense. Every pro day. He had a phenomenal pro day. Explosive, really good in the three-cone, the broad jump. And every mock. You could probably tell me if you think the Vikings would actually do it. I can tell you as a draft analyst that they absolutely should. Welcome to the Chris Trapasso Draft Show on Purple Insider. This is a good podcast to listen to leading into the draft. Hello, welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. It is the Chris Trapasso Draft Show presented by Victory Home Team. We do this every Monday leading up to and slightly past draft season. What is up, Chris? We're almost there, buddy. I'm really sad that the draft is not this upcoming Thursday like it has been the past couple of years. There was that stretch like in 2015, 2016, where it was that last weekend in April like it is this year, and it just seemed to take forever to get here. So. 
I'm excited. It's it's a it's building up to what will be an awesome weekend and with so many storylines. But I wish it was coming in like three days instead of like ten days. We are dragging. We are dragging we are. to the end. I mean, not only did the Mac Jones Justin Fields thing take years off my life, but I mean, there's <laughs> but there's just so many other ones of these that this guy's rising, this guy's falling, and this guy's pro day, and this guy and this and this and this and, this, and, and like the draft takes have become overwhelming and uh of course since you and i have ranked at least 900 players you know we've been grinding hard <laughs> in the film too so there's also that uh but there is still plenty for us to talk about as we mm-hmm. preview so you and i both have our five most interesting teams lists and i want to talk interior offensive line because i know that vikings fans are very excited to hear more about interior offensive line so why don't we just start out I'm going to throw out a team here that I think is probably on our both of our lists for the five most interesting teams in the first round, and that is the Atlanta Falcons. Do you have them on your list? Of, of course. I have them as the, the most fascinating, just because of probably a lot of the reasons of that you would feel the same, that I think the draft begins at number four overall. It's going to be a quarterback at three, probably Justin Fields, maybe Trey Lance. I'm not even going to say the other name. And number four, we don't know what the Falcons are going to do. I think the one indicator, they restructured Matt Ryan's contract. I've probably said that before on, on this podcast, but that it kind of locked Matt Ryan in for two more seasons. They do have a new GM who doesn't have any ties to Matt Ryan. They're probably going to get tons of calls for teams wanting to move up for Kyle Pitts or maybe another quarterback. Uh, so we're not re- – and that Adam Schefter, I think last week, tweeted like, the Falcons are getting calls, and they are open to trading down. So, like, to have that report come out, you would assume that the Falcons are probably leaking that. Like, if they're like, hey, we want Kyle Pitts, he could have just tweeted the total opposite. So we don't really know. Are they going to go quarterback to be the heir apparent to Matt Ryan? Are they going to try to load up on offense and pick Jamar Chase or pick Kyle Pitts? Uh, they are very fascinating because they're a team that for many years in the Matt Ryan era – we're a playoff team that were fun to watch because the offense was good the last couple of years. The defense has really held them back. And I think they are at a point where if they did load up on offense, I think they could go from like, you know, worst to first or worst to a playoff contender. Um, so that's what I think they ultimately should do after the Matt Ryan um, restructure. But it'll be interesting. I bet they're doing a lot of homework on Trey Lance, Justin Fields, um, and maybe even Mac Jones. Right. They would have a lot of different scenarios that they would be looking at. And that's what makes them so interesting is it's like a pivot point for the entire draft. And I was listening to Thomas Dimitrov talk on the PFF forecast podcast, which was really fascinating and super insightful. And just a side note, he mentioned that teams still use the Jimmy Johnson chart. So if you want to believe that, I know, right? So if you want to figure out uh, what the Vikings would try to get, if they were trading back, just pull up the old chart. I think it's posted in about a million different places and you can figure that out by adding up the little numbers I was amazed by that uh, but he was talking about how some things to consider that we normally don't when we're trying to break down the logic of a potential move one of them is that whatever Terry Fontenot does here as the GM of the Falcons in his first year is going to rest with him for a long time 
So if he decides to trade down, what Thomas Dimitrov said was, you better win the hell out of that trade. Like, you better get way above value uh, if you're going to move out of that fourth pick. And if you draft a quarterback, now that's a guy you're tied to forever. If you draft a good player there, that's actually the safest route to go as a general manager is just drafting Kyle Pitts there and going forward with Kyle Pitts. But the thing you have to think about, though, is when will you be drafting fourth overall again where you can get a top quarterback prospect? Yeah, and that's huge. And that's what I think we have to remember with every team inside the top 10. I kind of have a a draft adage that, I mean, there are some outliers, but if you're picking like in the top five, top seven, top 10, you probably need a quarterback or you should be doing your homework on a quarterback. I mean, the Cowboys are sitting there at 10 with Dak Prescott, but all the other teams, I mean, maybe not Joe Burrow and the Bengals at number five, all the other teams though are in the market for a quarterback. I think you and I would agree though, that long-term and value wise picking Trey Lance would be the smarter decision for the Falcons to make. But again, if we're trying to not look at everything and I do this probably too much, like theoretically and from a draft angle, Terry Fontenot might want to say, hey, like I understand that every team basically is in win now mode in today's instant gratification NFL. I have a pretty good quarterback in Matt Ryan. He's going to be our starter for two more seasons. Let's try to get better very fast. So I'm not going into year two, coming off a four and 12 season or four and 13 season, uh, something like that. So it's fun to kind of look at, a team picking early and saying, are they going long view or short view? And again, normally as a draft analyst, I would say go long view, pick the most valuable position, quarterback, offensive tackle. But I understand now that teams are like, we understand as a GM, as a front office, we don't have three, four, five, six years to build our roster. And I think that's the conundrum that the Falcons are in at number four. So tell me what you think is the most likely scenario and what would surprise you with number four for the Falcons. The most likely scenario to me is that they'll just pick Kyle Pitts that we'll hear. They got calls, but no one for as much as Kyle Pitts is universally liked. It still is a tight end prospect. Yes. He's basically a wide receiver, but remember it is a fantastic wide receiver class. I always go back to when the bills traded up for Sammy Watkins and he was the adored wide receiver prospect in that 2014 draft class. It's easy to say now, no, it was Mike Evans and Odell back. No, it was all about Sammy Watkins. Good move. They got a pretty good player. I mean, he had injuries and off field stuff, but the ultimate problem with Doug Whaley making that trade was that Mike Evans was there and Odell Beckham was there and Allen Robinson was in that draft class and Brandon cooks. So I I think the most likely scenario is them picking Kyle Pitts Um, And what would surprise me is if they traded back like outside of like the top eight, because at that point you're missing out on a big time playmaker, unless you're like, Hey, we don't need or want Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle, which would be surprising. We're happy with Patrick Sertan at number 12 or at 15 with the Patriots. That would surprise me, especially like what you just said about what Thomas Dimitrov said, like, if Terry Fontenot trades back all the way out from four to 12 or 14 or 15, and then he misses on this super highly touted top of the wide, of the wide receiver class of the offensive skill position class and picks like a pretty good corner. That's kind of a loss. I mean, obviously second and third rounders that he would get in the trade could ultimately be factored in as well. 
But it would surprise me if they not that they trade back, but if they trade back more than three or four picks. And if you're Matt Ryan and that happens and they trade out of the top 10 to take a corner, even though corners are valuable and they certainly need a defense, you're probably feeling like Aaron Rodgers did last year where you're going, oh, really? I mean, if they drafted Trey Lance, then I think even if you're Matt Ryan, you understand. Like, you have a calendar. You know how old you are. And you understand that they would be looking a couple years down the road for the future. But, you know, I also think – I'm always draft the quarterback guy, but I also think there is a case here if you're thinking three years out that, hey, if it blows up in your face and Matt Ryan – falls off the edge of the earth and is horrible and you go five and 12 or whatever, then you could draft one next year and you are going to be bad if he doesn't play well. So it's a very interesting pivot point because if they do draft Trey Lance and it goes one, two, three, four for quarterbacks, then everyone behind them is going, Oh my God, we can take whatever we want. That is not a quarterback here. And that leads me to ask you who the next most interesting team on your list is. It's kind of a little bit out there. I really am interested in the Washington football team, or as you like to call them, the Sharks. They have eight, <laughs> yeah. they have eight picks, two in round three, and we know they have Ryan Fitzpatrick. They have Taylor Heineke. They signed him to like a restricted free agent deal relatively cheap. But it's been so long since that organization has not been this dysfunctional mess. And Ron Rivera, I think, has kind of helped steady the ship, although his comment about – did you see the comment? where he talked about uh, even if analytics say 99% of the time you should make this move, what about that 1%, that one time that you miss? That was strange to me coming from Riverboat Ron. But it's it's been so long since they've been good, and I'm wondering, like, are they a pretty good quarterback away from being like a legitimate NFC contender? We know that they played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as well as anyone in that wildcard playoff round. They've invested so much on their defensive line. Uh, they bring in Curtis Samuel to pair with Terry McLaurin, and in a separation-based NFL, those are two young separators that can win down the field. I wonder with those eight picks and two in round three, uh, and yes, they you know swung and missed on RG3 just two years ago. They picked Dwayne Haskins, gigantic bust of a selection. I wonder if they're like, hey, we actually have a little bit of a window now let's get aggressive again and try to get someone like Trey Lance. Or if Trey Lance is the guy at three, do they try to move into the top 10 to pick Justin Fields? So like imagine Justin Fields on that roster, Ryan Fitzpatrick starts the season and then, you know, it's typical Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's ultimately not the starter by November. They're really interesting to me because it's just, they've been kind of irrelevant for so long. And I think they're on the way toward relevancy, which seems crazy with the Washington football team. So I want to talk about their options in a second, but going through the Washington football sharks and their draft history is one of the great joys you can ever have. It's so funny. So uh, the football team drafted two players named rock or Rocky. That's really funny. And they once upon a time traded up for a guy named Rocky McIntosh who turned out to be just like a regular inside linebacker did nothing, but they traded the house for someone named Rocky McIntosh. And that's just uh, never endingly funny to me, but Patrick Ramsey, the RG three. And it's really funny that their best draft pick 
in a very long time is Kirk Cousins, who's not on their team anymore, <laughs> and ends up go, you know, going elsewhere. They run him out of town. And the uh, very ironic thing is that Washington right now has a better roster, in my opinion, than Minnesota. And so if Kirk Cousins had signed his long-term contract extension with Washington, maybe they rebuild their roster. Though part of it is having Chase Young. They would never have Chase Young if he's there. But they have a great roster, I think. If you could go 7-9 and nine last year with the disasters that were playing quarterback for them outside of Alex Smith, but even Alex Smith, I mean, he's like wearing a contraption to make one of his legs work. And yet he goes something like 5-1 and one as a starter for them. Dwayne Haskins gets let go by the team. He's starting games and they still end up playing one playoff game. I think that says a lot about their defense and what uh, they've even started to build in terms of weapons. So I think they're in the perfect position to look at their roster and say, it's strong enough for us to trade up. I don't love trading three first round picks and things like that. Like San Francisco did to trade up, to get a quarterback. But if you're going to do it, you should do it when your roster is really, really strong. Not when you're like the New York jets and you've got nothing in house. And then you trade way up. One other thing about the Washington football team that makes them fascinating. They're picking at 19 in round one. And like that has become uh, too far away from like any, even if, say all the negative stuff that has been written and said about Justin Fields. And there was the Chris Mortensen thing that he played baseball and that ruined his <laughs> mechanics, that. whatever that was. Someone what? told him that. It, I think Chris Mortensen's awesome, but like that was strange. So bizarre there. Even if Justin Fields is the guy who falls or maybe say Trey Lance falls or even Mac Jones. Like, I don't think anyone believes that one of the top tier quarterbacks will be sitting there at 19. So it is really a like, we're waiting to see if the Washington football team trades up at least ahead of the Patriots at 15, probably inside the top 10. And just like you said, you, you have the roster now. And you would think that Daniel Snyder has seen some really bad quarterback play like Patrick Ramsey, like you mentioned, Dwayne Haskins, RG3, uh, abomination of quarterbacks since he's owned the team that maybe he would be okay with them trading up to get a good quarterback to just try to win 10, 11, 12 games and see what happens in the playoffs. And then this is the interesting conundrum that a lot of teams go through because you think about, you know, they drafted Dwayne Haskins and we're just talking about how good their roster is right now. That if you draft a quarterback at your spot, it doesn't ruin your franchise. If you you know, trade everything to move up, it can ruin your franchise if that doesn't work out very well. And the Jets are a good example of that, where the cupboard is still bare several years after drafting Sam Darnold, and not entirely because they traded all of that stuff to get up there, but some of it is the, is the reason for that. And so Washington is in that kind of difficult position of, do we really want to give up a, a lot of future picks to move up, but we're not close enough because they made the playoffs in seven and nine. Ironically, we're not close enough to get one of those guys unless they drop. Although I still am kind of holding out this thing in the back of my mind that Mac Jones makes it into the middle of the first round. And that's my next team is also in the middle of the first round, just behind the Vikings, which is the New England Patriots, because they also are in this same ballpark of Chicago and Washington. And even if you stretch out a little bit, Pittsburgh of these teams who could try to move up, if you get to number 10, if you get to number 11 or 12, and one of the quarterbacks has not gone yet, it seems like it should be kind of a free-for-all for a bunch of these teams unless, and this, you got to tell me what you think about this, unless you think that somebody is looking at Kyle Trask or Kellen Mond or somebody else and says, that's okay, we're going to get them instead, 
I just I think whoever that fifth quarterback is, if he gets past you know maybe ten or eleven, then it's going to be a lot of people calling to make that trade up to say like the Los Angeles Chargers or even Philadelphia if they're going to stick with Jalen Hurts. Yeah, well, I think from an analyst perspective, I would say if I was running one of those teams that needs a quarterback like the Patriots, um, even though they have Cam Newton, I would be fine with picking a, a offensive tackle or receiver in the first round and going with Kyle Trask or Kellen Mond or Davis Mills in round two over like trading up to get Mac Jones or trading up for any of those guys that you just mentioned. But we have definitely seen crazier things happen on draft night. So don't be surprised if one of those quote unquote second tier quarterbacks ultimately goes a lot earlier. And I do think in general, the league has smartened up and understands how valuable of an asset a quarterback is. And you've mentioned it a lot. Even if your quarterback doesn't play as well as Ryan Fitzpatrick or Taylor Heineke plays better. If you're the uh, Washington football team, you have a former first round pick at the quarterback spot that you can trade and get back assets for him. So I, the Patriots are interesting to me. I thought a lot of the points that you brought up, I agree with. They're interesting to me because it's like, are they rebuilding? Does Bill Belichick think that they can like win another Super Bowl? Like they went crazy in free agency, but a lot of their, like they paid a little bit, more than we expected for some like decent players like Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne. Matthew Judon's a good player, but they like spent more than we have ever seen the Patriots spend. Then they re-signed Cam Newton and the offensive line's pretty good. They're getting back some opt-out players. Uh, It's just, it's an identity. I think a post Tom Brady identity that we just don't know. It's, It's like an identity crisis in new England that you would, I think because of the Nick Saban, Bill Belichick connection, that that is the sweet spot for Mac Jones, that not that the Patriots have drafted like 50, 50 Alabama players, but you would think that if there's a team that could fall in love with Mac Jones, it would be Bill Belichick calling up his buddy, Nick Saban and saying like, Hey, like what is really the deal with this guy? Um, So I think at, at 15, I would not pick Mac Jones there. But I think that is the the most likely scenario where then you could still play Cam Newton. And and if things go as poorly as they did in 2020 for him, then there's your young quarterback, Bill Belichick being close to 70 years old. That's like what's kind of fascinating about it too. Like is Bill Belichick going to like try to rebuild the team and then retire? Or like it's, I can't really get a firm grasp on what he's trying to do with this team. So that makes them fascinating in round one. And then throughout the rest of the draft, because he normally – just trades down and, and it's fine just accumulating picks because he's had that ultimate masking agent being Tom Brady. He doesn't have that anymore. So that's why they're really interesting to me right in the middle of round one. Hey everyone, anybody who listens to the show knows that Sam and I may not be scratch golfers, but we love to have a great time playing golf. And that's why we have partnered with Birdie Golf in Woodbury. Birdie Golf is hands down the best indoor golf experience you will ever have. There are eight of the world's best golf simulators where you can sharpen your swing and luckily for us, never lose a ball. But it's not just for hardcore golfers. Birdie Golf is for everyone. Bring the family, play arcade style games while dining on great food in an upscale and comfortable environment. They have private bays for social distancing, a luxury lounge for private events, outdoor patio, and scratch kitchen. You'll want to try the whiskey or beer float flights and the best boneless wings in the metro. Make golf a night out or the place to hold parties, events, fundraisers, even your fantasy football draft. 
Check out Birdie Golf at 494 in Valley Creek in Woodbury, just a short drive from anywhere in the Twin Cities metro, and at birdiegolf.com, or you could call 651-998-2200 today. I'll see you there. Hey everyone, we have a new special offer to tell you about with our friends at Symbol. If you go to Symbol.app, that's S-I-M-B-U-L-L dot A-P-P, and sign up as a first-time user with a $20 deposit into Symbol using the promo code PURPLE, you will receive six months free of premium Purple Insider written content at purpleinsider.substack.com. So go to Symbol.app. Deposit $20 if you're a first-time user, six months free of our premium written content at Purple Insider. If you are not familiar yet with Symbol, it is a new sports marketplace where you can trade shares of professional teams like stocks. So as we are fully into draft season, you're going to want to get in now with your team before their stock rises. Here's how it works. You buy stock of teams, and when your teams win, you earn cash payouts that are instantly deposited. So check it out, Symbol.app. Follow them on Twitter at Symbol Exchange, and check out the marketplace for sports. They feel like a team that drafts someone in the second or third round as their quarterback, that they're mm-hmm. kind of they're very much a smartest guy in the room type of team where they'd be like, oh, no, we can draft another guy. And, and, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, I think, was a major hit for them. But Jacoby Brissett wasn't. Ryan Mallett wasn't. Jared Stidham wasn't. Like, they've tried this many, many times. And Jimmy Garoppolo in the second was really the only time it was a hit. But you could see them looking at Davis Mills and saying, a lot of Jimmy Garoppolo and Davis Mills, and maybe that's our guy. I would be surprised if they're the team to trade up. And and partly because, like you said, I mean, they went out and treated this offseason as if they needed to fill the final pieces of the puzzle to yeah. try and get to a Super Bowl, which is odd because Miami and Buffalo are still better teams than them, I think, hands down. The only wild card is we don't know how Bill feels about the way that Cam Newton played last year. Cam, before he got COVID, was playing – had a really high level. I mean, that game against Seattle, he was tremendous. Uh, and then, you know, he had some issues and he was out for a couple of games and they still finished seven and nine. And I think he might've gone what, like seven and eight as the starter. Cause they had to start Brian Hoyer one game. Like it wasn't that bad with Cam Newton, even though it wasn't great. And I wonder if they think, okay, in better circumstances with some receivers, Cam can actually get us back to the playoffs. Yeah. One last point on that, that bringing up Cam Newton there is, is a smart point because after how poorly he played down the stretch, I would have bet a million dollars that they would not re-sign him. So maybe there was something to he was injured. There was some lingering effects from COVID because we know that Bill Belichick is completely unafraid and unapologetic of cutting players, trading them. Uh, you know, even if it's, if it's a big free agent signing to release them after a season. When I saw that Cam Newton re-signed I was shocked by that so there could be something to Bill Belichick saying okay maybe Cam Newton is not this guy that we're going to sign to a massive extension like people thought early in 2020 when he was playing so well but maybe Bill Belichick feels like hey he needs another year in the system we can do some new things at the quarterback spot that we didn't do for 20 years with the running aspect to it so I think Cam Newton's presence uh, it's probably not with the long view in mind, but it is interesting that he's still on the roster given how poorly he played, but then they re-signed him. Right, so that gives them a bunch of different options, and mm-hmm. it's, I, I think, uh, maybe one of the hardest teams to predict. Okay, who's next on your list? Los Angeles Chargers. They have nine picks, 
And what makes them interesting, we're, we're talking about all these quarterbacks and which teams will trade up. They're fascinating just for the straightforward reason of they have their quarterback. And this second draft after you have your quarterback, we know how vital that is. And every bit of quarterback analysis, you can break down the individual, but everyone today knows it's all about the situation and what your offensive line does and the skill position players. So with nine picks, two of them are in the third round. Uh, it's vital for them to get a left tackle. They essentially don't have one right now. They definitely need that. I don't love their skill position group. I think it's solid with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. Um, but for a team that picked the third quarterback at pick number six last year and everyone, most people were low on Justin Herbert and thought that was kind of a reach. You know, he, he was clearly not as good as Tua and definitely not as good as Joe Burrow. He wins offensive rookie of the year. Uh, and it's like, okay, now you have the most important piece, but it's still also critical to get good pieces around him. So I think just for the obvious reason of, hey, everyone's looking for a quarterback. They're one of, what, eight to ten teams that's not looking for a quarterback, but this draft is vital. The offseason was vital, and they let Hunter Henry go, so they have to fill that need at tight end. Um, They could certainly add some pieces on defense as that, Defense has gotten a little bit older. So the Chargers there at 13, right in front of the Vikings, I think they'll probably go left tackle there. But with that many picks and Justin Herbert on the roster, it's absolutely critical. And this could be, we could look back in three years and say, this is why Justin Herbert is winning his second MVP because of this draft. Or look at what a a talent that was wasted in Los Angeles because they whiffed on some early picks in 2021. I think with so many picks and so many good wide receiver prospects that they would be a team that would wait unless Jalen Waddell drops to them or unless Jamar Chase drops to them. And it's just the player is too good to pass up on. And then you could take a tackle in the second round. And there are good tackle prospects in the second round as well. I mean, even just someone like Sam Cosme or Walker Little, like those guys aren't as much of a sure thing as Rashawn Slater or Christian Derrissaw, but still very good prospects that you don't often see too many tackles in in the second round. But when I was looking at Mel Kuyper's mock, he's got like four or five uh, right there in the middle of that second round that are going, which is not what you usually see. Uh, So it's usually top guys in the first round and then, you know, projects later on. So they need a left tackle for sure. But Brandon Staley being there interests me as well, because you think about where he just came from and who the most important player in the Rams defense, not named Aaron Donald was, and that would be Jalen Ramsey. So is he looking at these corners? And that's where I wonder, is there a corner that would be worth taking at 13? I'm not really sold on anybody in this cornerback group, but certain horn. I mean, maybe that's where the first corner goes off the board. Yeah. I would think it's Caleb Farley, but now with the back oh, Farley, injury, right. Yeah, that he would have been worth it there. I think I have him as my number 15 or number 16 overall player. So if he goes 13, that would have been fine. But I obviously have no legit background on his medical issue and our team's super scared about a back issue. I mean, those are usually pretty serious. He said he's going to be fine in a couple of months at his pro day a few weeks ago. I think, though, what is interesting that, yes, Jalen Ramsey was the most critical player on that defense after Aaron Donald. But and I know that you've listened to it. I've I've listened to it on the PFF podcast. They talk about how Brandon Staley's scheme is all like cover two and cover four, keep everything in front. It's not one that is like 
from the Belichick tree where they need a press man corner. They don't need a lot of like it's almost more of the group is better than one individual player. I think it helps to have Jalen Ramsey. So it's that does make it interesting. I mean, it's a defensive minded head coach on a team with a really young, really talented second year quarterback and a need on the offensive side of the ball. So that's a fascinating pick right before the Vikings. Do they go with what the head coach knows defense and, and they certainly could use a corner or are they like, Hey, in today's NFL, even if our defense isn't as good as the 2020 Rams, if we get Jalen Waddle or if we get Rashawn Slater, we're going to ultimately be better. So I think they'll go on the offensive side, but not really knowing what they're going to do. And the presence of Justin Herbert makes the Chargers really interesting to me. Yeah, and it makes it interesting to me just because this swings the way the Vikings could go, I think. I mean, I I think if they're going defensive end, it is a great case to just trade down there. And you can even trade down a couple times the way that these defensive ends look like they're going to come off the board. I was fiddling around with that the other day of trading down to 19 and then down to 24 again. And I was still looking at Ojulari on the board. I was still looking at Russo on the board. And if you came away with one of those guys and a bunch of extra picks from trading down, you'd feel pretty darn good about yourself. And I think the Vikings could do that. But that would only be, I think, if someone like Christian Derrissaw and Rashawn Slater were both gone, and that could be determined right there at that 13th pick. So I like that for the Chargers being interesting. The next one on my list is the Denver Broncos, because the question is, how did the Denver Broncos get into the quarterback party? And they should even be side-eyeing the Detroit Lions a little bit with if someone like Trey Lance or Justin Fields is there, because I've seen that mocked. And just like with the Matt Ryan situation, it does make sense for a team with a mediocre quarterback in Jared Goff to take Justin Fields and then just tell the media and the fans, well, we couldn't pass up on Justin Fields. Come on now. We weren't going to draft him. This is always one of my favorites when you draft someone that, you know, might conflict with another player like, hey, that was just the best guy on our board. That's why we took him. I mean, we couldn't pass up a prospect like that. But I could even see that happening for the Lions. So do the Broncos try to kind of hold their breath and see what happens? Uh, Would George Payton want a Kirk Cousins type in uh, Mac Jones? Or would he, having seen Kirk Cousins the last couple years, be like, give me Trey Lance or give me nothing? I I, I think they've got a lot of options. Yeah, all those questions make them very compelling. They're at number nine. They're definitely right on the outer cusp of a quarterback maybe falling to them, but they probably realize they would need to trade up. I think in general, just from the last like five to seven years, it seems as though GMs when they, or, you know, if you're an assistant GM and then you become a GM, you, they tend to stay away from what they had at the previous stop that something that was limiting the team. Me being a Buffalo guy, I always think back to when Brandon Bean was hired from Carolina and was under Dave Gettleman there who built a great defense, whatever, but just completely ignored the offensive line. And then the bills had Josh Allen. And I'm like, is Brandon Bean going to just ignore the offensive line? Like in that Super Bowl with Cam Newton, it was like, if they had even any semblance of an offensive line, they could have maybe won that game. But they're Mike Remmers, ironically um, was one of the starting tackles in that game. And then for the chiefs in the Super Bowl and, but Brandon Bean did the complete opposite. And I think in general, someone like George Payton, who I think is obviously a very smart football mind would say, I know everything that comes with a Kirk Cousins type in Mac Jones. If I'm trading up, it's going to be for Trey Lance or for Justin Fields. Uh, And obviously with Drew Locke there, I I don't think he moved the needle enough for them to be like, hey, he's our guy. 
Um, but what does make it interesting, say they can't trade up, they're sitting there at nine in the scenario that you pointed out earlier. I think they would be fine like, hey, four quarterbacks went off the board. We tried to move up. We couldn't do it. It's a pretty nice consolation prize to have. Penny Sewell still sitting there and Rashawn Slater and all the receivers and Kyle Pitts. Like, not that they need offense, but if they're like, hey, let's maybe just take what is given to us and load up on offense or add pick the first defensive end or linebacker, all the skill positions to move down. I don't think that that is completely out of the question for them if they can't ultimately move up for a quarterback. Do you think Trey Lance would be worth it to move from nine to four, which would probably take a lot considering what San Francisco had to pay to get up to three? I do. I really th- And that situation, I everything I've said about Trey Lance is that he needs to have somewhat of a redshirt type season. I actually think Denver would make a ton of sense because I don't personally think that it's a completely closed case on Drew Locke. Like it wouldn't be the worst thing for them to say, Hey, we traded up for Trey Lance. We didn't have a lot of extra draft picks after the move. So we're just going to start Drew Locke for like six to eight games, 10 games. We know we're not like a Super Bowl contender right now. It's George Payton's first season as a GM. Let's see how Drew Locke plays. And maybe he actually, with Cortland Sutton back and Jerry Judy in year two and a better offensive line, he plays okay, but you know Trey Lance is your future quarterback. You could be in a Patrick Mahomes, Alex Smith type situation where Trey Lance takes over and the Chiefs traded Alex Smith to the Washington football team for a bundle when he was like a 35-year-old quarterback. So I, I that's a situation I think that would be worth it for them because of how they're set up and just because of the immense talent that Trey Lance has. I, I've said it on this podcast. I've said it on my own podcast, The Prospect. If you're going to trade up for a quarterback, trade up for a freak quarterback, and that's what Trey Lance is. Yeah, I agree, and I think that their uh, situation with their wide receivers and their roster overall sets up for them mm-hmm. to do that. And there's another point with this, too, that, hey, you know, if Drew Locke even hits his ceiling, maybe he's a poor man's Matt Stafford or something, which is, you know, not that great. Maybe he's like a Ryan Fitzpatrick, what Fitzpatrick is now, if he reaches his ceiling, where it's a little bit of high variance. He could be a lot of fun. He could be really terrible. Is that beating the NFC West, or I'm sorry, the AFC West? Like, is that really competing in the AFC West? I think for them, you have to take the risk to give yourself any shot at a quarterback who's going to be able to go toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes. You're going to have to have somebody who could do special things. Otherwise, you're probably just going to keep losing a lot to Patrick Mahomes. And I, I do think that has to be a consideration. The guy's going to be inside of that division. And George Payton goes from playing against Aaron Rodgers now to going up against Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> but he should know, like, you're going to be in that division and if you want to win it someday, you got to have a quarterback who can do the same things that Mahomes can, or at least some semblance of those things. Yeah, one last point on the Broncos, if they do trade up, and I think they, they're probably the team most ready to do that, being at number nine with a new GM. It wouldn't be the worst thing either for them to trade up to number four, pick Trey Lance, and then just keep Drew Locke. Like, right. he's a, a good, you know, let him play in his second season. By year two, even if he plays like the whole year and you're under 500, you're like, all right, he's not the guy. You don't need to offload him. Like, you know that he can start in the league. He's had 300-yard passing games. Like, he could be still a good mentor to someone like Trey Lance that has a big arm, that's a little bit raw, and he's only a second-round pick. He's not making a gigantic salary. He can be just your de facto backup starting in 2022. So it's not a situation where they absolutely would need to trade him, but 
the value of quarterback and the talent that Lance has makes him someone definitely worth trading into the top five for. Okay, I've lost count of how many teams you've gotten. I don't know how many. I think you have uh, maybe one more on your list. I have one more, and it is the Minnesota Vikings. And I promise, not cherry-picking this, (laughs) they have 11 picks. And me being a draft guy, I love – the teams that have a lot of picks, because if you were, if I was a GM, I would be trying to get as many picks as possible. It's just fun. Not only to see if a team drafts 11 players or more, as you've suggested that they might do if they trade down, but what 11 picks means in terms of the possibilities to trade up and maybe not even in round one, maybe if we're dead set on the fact that the Vikings are not going to trade up for a quarterback because of Kirk Cousins contract, they could trade up in round two and they could, you know, take, a few second round picks. So I think, and because they've been in the playoffs, out of the playoffs, in the playoffs, out of the playoffs, they've been kind of back and forth during the Kirk Cousins era. uh, And they have some still really good players. The presence of Justin Jefferson, I think is huge for that organization based on how you feel and how we all feel about the growing value at the wide receiver position. You still have Adam Thielen. You're getting Danelle Hunter back. Um, Eric Hendricks, Anthony Barr there. So I think they're fascinating because of how many picks and what they ultimately do and where they're positioned at number 14. We talked about the Chargers. They probably have to go offensive tackle, maybe corner, and then right in front of Bill Belichick and the Patriots, they could trade back, like you're saying. But being right in the middle of round one, I think there will be a good tackle on the board. They will, there will probably be, or potentially, uh, the first edge rusher could go at number 14 overall. That would not surprise me whatsoever. The first linebacker, uh, they're just an interesting team because it's hard to tell what they ultimately will do because they do have a fair amount of needs and so many picks. I feel like the needs have been funneled in the draft uh, mocks and things like that to tackle or defensive end, that everybody is either going those two directions, and then you have your rogue Devontae Smith that fits in there. And my thing is like, we've got a pretty good feeling, I think, with this draft of how things will go and what players will be at the top. But there's always that one or two surprises, and that's always. what can totally swing where the Vikings go. So if Devontae Smith does not get taken, then you're on the board, and Devontae Smith is there and you got to make that call are you going to go with your defensive end are you going to trade out of it and let somebody else trade up for a wide receiver like they could have so many different directions to go just based on if one thing changes from what we think is going to happen yeah and I think if there's stay put at 14 Jalen Phillips is the one that we've kind of zeroed in on uh, as he fits the prototype of what Mike Zimmer wants but what's interesting and that you hinted at it earlier it's a very good edge class from like middle of round one to middle of round two. They could trade back and be like, Hey, we like all these guys, or there's not that big of a gap in our grading system between Jalen Phillips and Quiddy pay or Aziz Ojulari. If we want a, a more of a, a smaller pass rusher um, there, Jason Owe from Penn state who might be Danelle Hunter, maybe not uh, Joe Tryon from Washington, Carlos Basham, who's that bigger type. There are a lot of like, quality late first round, maybe sneak into the twenties edge rushers where the Vikings could ultimately trade back, get a few more picks. And then I think what would be the smartest thing to do, get those extra picks and then ultimately move up again and make, because they don't have that second round pick yet to trade up and at least get one or if not two second rounders onto this roster. The Jason Oway thing I think is plausible for the Vikings that they could look at that 
sub 4440 for a defensive end and say that's our kind of freak. And I was you know, kind of making some snarky comments about, oh, the next Daniil Hunter. But it's almost not even fair to Jason Owe because he's probably going to be a first-round pick, and Daniil Hunter was a third-round pick. And that's what makes Daniil Hunter so unique. And what's frustrating is – Every guy who is an accurate quarterback but not mobile gets compared to Kirk. And every yes. defensive end who has a good pro day who does not have a lot of sacks gets compared to Daniil Hunter. And Daniil Hunter is one of the most special human beings I've ever been around, not just from a physical perspective, but from a character makeup perspective. I mean, if you're trying to do a percentile on him, he's 99th percentile. I mean, he's intelligent and he's driven and he's coachable and he's a great teammate. And it's just like everything converging all at once for this guy uh, to be highly, highly motivated to be great. I mean, you just don't know how somebody is going to transition into the NFL life. Um, you know, so the, the athleticism, I mean, I don't know. Like, yeah, I think he's just an extreme outlier be, because of his personality as much as his athletic build. Yeah, that last point is spot on because that's what I was going to say, that Donnell Hunter is an outlier. He's a unicorn in a sense that he is so good and so productive in all phases of the game as a third-round pick who is so young coming into the league that I think that's what teams – I think the not as smart teams fall into, they see someone like Josh Allen and they're like, we need to just draft a big <laughs> inaccurate quarterback. Yeah. And he's going to turn it. Josh Allen is an outlier too. He truly was not that great of a prospect. The bills built him up. He had the mental capacity to fix his mechanics and work really hard on it. A lot of the stuff that you mentioned with Hunter. So I think it, there is, and I think we talked about this a long time ago that, there gets to be trends in the draft, but don't try to chase the outliers. And Denell Hunter is that. But for the Vikings sense, even if it's not Jason Oway, there truly are. There's even Joseph Osai from Texas. They could trade back. And if you say to me, do you want Jalen Phillips at 14 or do you want Joseph Osai at 22 and a second rounder and a fourth rounder, I would pick Joseph Osai for sure in that scenario. So that's obviously the added bonus to trading back. Um, but even though they already have 11 picks, you would get those extra selections. And getting that round two pick, I think, is really, really valuable. To go from pick 14 all the way to pick 79, that's a pretty big gap. Folks, the football offseason is off and rolling, and SodaStick has you covered with Minnesota sports-themed gear. Some of my favorite football designs that you have to check out include the Chuck Foreman Spin Doctor gear. You can commemorate Randy Moss's disgusting act on a shirt or a hoodie. And if you're old school, check out the Purple People Eaters design as well. Go to SodaStick.com and check them all out. If you use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER, you can get free shipping on all your Minnesota sports-inspired gear. All of their apparel is screen printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. Plus, keep your eyes and ears out for our giveaways going on on this show as well on social media. Follow them at SodaStickCo on Twitter and at SodaStick.com for your original Minnesota sports inspired goods. Code PURPLEINSIDER for free Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Shipping.
Hey everyone, I want to tell you about our friends at Scout Logistics, and I really do mean it when I say friends. They are fans of Purple Insider over at Scout Logistics, and since they reached out wanting to support this show, I want to tell you about what they do. Scout Logistics is just-in-time transportation for full tractor-trailer loads, and if you're wondering what that means exactly... Well, if you own or work for a company that needs shipping solutions, they are the preferred carrier of Fortune 500 companies across North America, and we have quite a few of those in Minnesota, right? They can ship perishable, non-perishable, FTL or LTL, and they have on-time delivery rate of over 99%. So, if you're like them and you enjoy the show and you have shipping needs, check out scoutlogistics.com or call 855 855- 217-2688 extension 232 to connect with them directly to find out how Scout Logistics can minimize risk and overperform and go the extra mile for your company. Uh, another point about the, the Daniil Hunter-Jason Oway thing. Uh, Daniil Hunter runs a sub 4640, but also 25 bench reps. I mean, that's even when he was a young kid. You should see him now. In terms of his strength, I mean, this is like like Aaron Donald and Daniel Hunter are just guys you should never compare anyone to because they are unlike anyone else. They get a hundred out of a hundred when it comes to their bodies and their makeup. So uh, mm-hmm. anyway, anyway, now just a real quick point: uh, the Vikings have one nineteen, one twenty five, one thirty four, one forty three, and one fifty seven. So get ready, day three. I will be on so many conference calls, Chris. It's going to be nuts. Uh, Before we wrap up, though, I wanted to touch on the interior offensive line uh, because this will be, I think, very much in those picks that we just ran through or in the third round, something that the Vikings could target. And this draft, to me, just does not have second-round interior offensive linemen, and I'm not even sure that there's, uh, other than guys who will transition from tackle to guard, anyone that you're even taking before the third round? I mean, Am I am I wrong about that? I mean, other than like Vera Tucker is a tackle slash guard. So if we just throw those guys out and talk about only interior, it seems like the third round is where there's a bunch of guards and centers that are going to go. I agree with you on that point, and but we're kind of in the minority. There's people that absolutely love Landon Dickerson from Alabama. Mm, right. I I see him more as an early third round pick, and here's the quick reason why. And, and this is a very minority opinion. He's like 6'6", 340, 338. He's not playing center in the NFL at that size. I'm so, It's too tall. It's too heavy. And watching him on film, I think he moves well for his size. But I like wrote in, in my scouting report for him that he looks kind of stiff. And he has the ACL injury. So you're dealing with all that. And he was really bu- like bullying people in his red shirt senior season at Alabama. Um, but beyond that, I agree. I think third round is really where it kicks off, where the value at, at center or guard, whatever position, interior offensive line, that seems to make more sense than anyone that's a slam dunk round two pick. Maybe Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma. I like him a lot, and I like his versatility, but I think you're safer to get the right value waiting until the third round of this draft for interior offensive linemen. We talked about Trey Smith uh, on the last episode when I draft simmed Trey Smith and his athleticism versus kind of his production. I feel like Wyatt Davis is a little bit the same way, that he was a guy who was talked about as, hey, maybe this guy's even a first-round guard, and then his production from this last year was not good. And if I'm recalling correctly, Christian Barmore eating up the interior that uh, offensive line for Ohio State did not help him or uh, what Josh Myers. It didn't help either one of those guys in terms of their uh, draft value. 
Yeah, Wyatt Davis, if you look back to like even mock drafts at the beginning of the college football season, it was like he was a top 10 pick. And and that's kind of when I say with my grading system, when I have like three corners in a row, because that's just how the, the numbers come out, that I'm not just going to throw a tight end in there or a wide receiver to make it look better. That's what I think it kind of was with Wyatt Davis. Like, hey, there's got to be a guard somewhere in the first round, right? I truly don't think there is. Elijah Vera Tucker is the closest that I have graded inside the first round. But again, for the Vikings, that's good. If, if there's not four or five interior offensive linemen gone before, you know, pick 50 or pick 70, they could ultimately still get a pretty good one that could start and does have upside on late in day two or even early day three. Yeah. And uh, beyond that, though, I mean, it, Kendrick Green is another guy that stands out. Uh, to me, as being talked about a lot. Now, he's not the biggest guy, but when you watch him, it's pretty nasty in the way that he plays, and uh, Vikings fans are very interested in Kendrick Green from Illinois because PFF graded him extremely high when it came to his zone blocking skill. Yeah, he's one of my favorite interior blockers. I think he might be the best value selection because a lot of the names that I already spoke about are, are getting either late first or early second round buzz. And there will be a team that needs a guard or, or thinks it needs a, a center that early. Kendrick green is probably going to be there in the third round. He played center. He played guard, very athletic. And he's one unlike Dickerson and unlike um, Wyatt Davis, who I think, and really even Trey Smith who plays as athletic as he tested. He is very explosive off the snap, getting uh, across a gap on those zone runs. And, I wrote in my scouting report for him that he's effortlessly powerful. He, he's like a road grader, but he's not exerting all of his energy to bring someone to the turf. He has a wrestling background. I don't know if the Vikings like that. Some teams like oh, that. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I do. Yes, I do. like to, especially if you're a center guard um, that you are, were like a state champion wrestler. I think that's very good. Kendrick Green is good in that respect. He would make a lot of sense. I don't know what the Vikings want to do with the future of Garrett Bradbury, but Green is someone. You could plug him in at guard. He's already pretty powerful. Pack some weight onto him. Let him play guard for a season. See how it goes. And you wouldn't be dealing with an Ezra Cleveland type situation where he is definitely not a guard and you're putting him there. <laughs> right. And then if Garrett Bradbury ultimately isn't the guy at center, you have someone that has the athleticism on the move to play center in Kendrick Green. Okay, last one before we wrap up. Everyone saw Quinn, is it Mannerts, Minerts at Minors, uh, minor, minors at the uh, Senior Bowl. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I mean, I, PFF likes him. A lot of people like him. I still feel like interior guys are just not going until the third, but uh, do you like him as a guy who could transition quickly to the NFL from Wisconsin Whitewater? I think it's going to take him a while. I, I don't think, I mean, Ali Marpet coming from Hobart, that was a D3 school, is the prototype here, but it took him a season or two to be like, oh my God, every guy is the strongest human being I've ever dealt with. His film, and I did find some Wisconsin Whitewater film, obviously. I, <laughs> I, I, it wasn't easy, but I did get some. He's pretty athletic, and he tested pretty well. Um, and we know that at the Senior Bowl, he was just putting people in the dirt. He's pretty athletic, and he's pretty strong. But his technique in pass protection, I think it has a long way to go. And I even saw, I don't know what insider it was, but someone – a, a big name, like had him as a center. And I did not, I think he is a guard. All, I don't know if it was Lance Zerline or it was someone like tweeting or, or in a mock draft, like that wrote his position as center. So maybe some teams are thinking that he's a center, but I, I like him. I don't like him in 
the top 50, but in round three, it picked 79, it picked 91. I think absolutely because of the inherent athleticism he has and just how powerful he is, even coming from the D3 level. I think he's a step or two above any of the other small school players in terms of meeting those athletic and physical thresholds that you need to at least meet to not be a liability early in your career. What Vikings fans have been thirsting for, interior offensive line talk. Chris Capasso, the Prospect Podcast, CBS Sports Draft Coverage. We march closer and closer. We will do one more of these shows before the actual draft. And then, Chris, you are going to have so many freaking draft picks to break down when we do this after the draft. (laughs) Okay, we've talked about this off air, but I want to get it into a podcast. We need to, I mean, you are the Vikings expert. You believe that they will ultimately make more than 11 picks. Yes. Is that, are, are you ready to go on the record with let's, that? Let's bet something on it. What do you want to bet on it? Milkshake? Want to bet a milkshake? Milkshake. I'll Venmo you money for a milkshake. Okay. Milkshake. Milkshake. Are bet. we just going over under 11 or do you think it's going to be way more? Let's go over under 11 and a half. So if okay. it's 11, then yeah. you win. And if it's 12, then I win. I think that right. I think that they're going to take some of these picks and they're going to move them back. They're going to move back from 90 to 97 or 78 to 83, and they're going to pick up another seventh. They don't have a seventh right now because they got it oh, taken boy. away from them. They'll have a seventh. I guarantee. One last th- one last thing that I don't get <laughs> with that is uh, if I was a GM and maybe I'm completely missing something here, I would do everything in my power to not have sixth and seventh round picks. Like, I, I'm the biggest advocate of trading back and getting more roles at the table, but, like, those picks, the success rate, the chance of a sixth or seventh rounder making your roster when you're not giving him as many reps as your early round picks and your veterans, and then ultimately being really good are so low, I would use sixth and seventh rounders to trade for veterans, uh, to trade up, hey, you know, we're sitting here at 91, we like someone, you know, ahead of our pick at 79, let's trade it a sixth and a seventh and next year's seventh to get up to get him. Like in those scenarios, I'm okay with that. If you're just making all your picks within like the top 150, instead of saying we need that 243, we need that selection. I can't tell you how much Vikings fans agree with everything you said because <laughs> they have watched seventh rounder after seventh rounder. I think we had four seventh round conference calls last year. None of them mattered. And that's usually how it goes is, yeah, I mean, somebody gets to have their dream day of getting drafted to the NFL. But, I mean, other than that, I mean, Afadi Adeno Obo was a seventh-round pick, Stephen Weatherly, B.C. Johnson. I mean, these are inconsequential players for the most part at, at best in the seventh round. So I agree with you. This team just seems to love to trade back to get more and more sevenths. And I will admit, as a uh, serial draft simmer, it is fun picking more players. That is true. Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> no I'm doubt excited. About that. I'm excited after the draft. I've been saying to you this whole time. For as much as I love watching players, evaluating, plugging them into the grading system, see how the big board populates, it's fun to actually finally be able to talk about legitimate yes. players. Like things that we've talked about will ultimately, 90% of what we talked about will ultimately not come to fruition. But when we can sit here and talk about hopefully 11, so I win the bet, 
11 <laughs> Vikings draft picks and, and, and I can say, hey, I had him here. I think this was too high or this was great value. That will be a lot of fun. So definitely next week will be good because we'll be in draft week. We'll be entering it. But then after the draft, a lot of content to get to with the Vikings having potentially a dozen picks. Yes, prepare yourself for 12. All right, we'll talk uh, <laughs> next week, Chris. Thanks for your time as always. And make sure you check out his podcast, The Prospect, and uh, follow him on Twitter at Chris Trapasso. Thanks, Chris.